I thought I was pressing the record button, but instead I, I pressed the hey button. So, hey, John. Hey, Scott. Hey, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited to talk about these cop movies. Oh, yeah, I bet you are. Um, this is going to be fun. This is, uh, oh, I always introduce the show. Why don't you introduce the show today? Oh, sure. Hey, this is Popcorn Eschaton a side quest of the Zebras in America podcast, where we talk about spiritual movies, uh, political movies, or movies that have a spiritual or political bent, or we maybe can just find a spiritual or political resonance in movies that aren't usually thought of in that way. And um, today we're going to be talking about Elio Petri's 1972, satire thriller investigation of a citizen above suspicion and Andre de Toth's uh, story of cops and ex-cons crime wave um, so Scott since you were totally new to these movies um, what was your first impression of them okay so I will talk about crime wave first mm-hmm. crime wave was really awesome and I had no idea what was going to happen you gave me a little preamble about the context of these actors when when this movie came out can you would you mind oh yeah yeah sure so um so crime wave crime wave is about this ex-con named Steve Lacey and his struggles with sort of going straight while avoiding the cops and navigating the fact that um, some other ex-cons are not so bent on not committing crimes anymore. And he's played by Gene Nelson, who had previously been best known for being like a supporting actor in pleasant comedies and musicals. So the comparison I made... uh, to Scott is that like if you made this movie now it'd be like casting Jay Baruchel up against someone like Michael Shannon um, playing the role of L- Lieutenant Sims uh, so you're just immediately like sympathetic and on his side and you know when I pitched this episode I I had seen the movie maybe a year or so before and I was second guessing my own viewing of the film like that I was projecting my own politics onto it but watching it again it's like oh no for 90% of the movie the cops are bullies they're wrong and intimidating both witnesses and innocent people um like making everybody's lives harder than they need to be um they're they're jerks uh, and Sterling Hayden, the physical uh, and charismatic presence that he is, he's pretty frightening, and he's written and played that way. Yeah, and you have um, a young Charles Bronson. Yeah, playing a, a tough, uh, who's the sort of um, muscle man operator of the the people intimidating Steve Lacey. And I, th- I do one of these days want to talk about Charles Bronson movies, but I feel like I'm not in a rush to, you know? Yeah, yeah there's there's a, lo- a lot to get into with, with his career for sure. 
Mr. Deathwish himself. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Deathwish is very interesting mm-hmm. in sort of this avenue that we might be doing about cops and and vigilante justice and the problems they're in and especially juxtaposing the remake of that yeah with uh with Bruce Willis which is bizarre and also I I I really love the movie Hard Times Yes yeah yeah that that's a great movie yeah so I would like to talk about that one of these days but um so this movie has what I like in black and white movies would you call this a noir I would yes so when I watch a noir I expect shadows I expect most of the story to be told at night I expect characters of questionable morals uh, I often expect this movie had a nice juxtaposition because it also ha- it often has the wanton woman where whereas in this movie what really makes it special is the main character's love and connection to his wife yeah so and she's absolutely 100% supportive of him she doesn't really understand the pressure that he's under but she's with him all the way She's like, I don't understand, but I got your back, yep. and I believe you're a good person, and you've paid your debt. And this is this is the thing that frustrates me. I'm sorry, what was the name of the main cop's character? Uh, Lieutenant Sims. So Lieutenant Sims is just like, you're a crook. Everybody that has ever been a crook is a crook, which goes against a lot of my beliefs of redemption and and undoing patterns and hoping to lower recidivism yeah. but i i hope to talk about some of the myths of policing in this episode yeah and i mean steve lacy t- says to his wife once you do a stretch you're never clean again you're never free and she says well they can't do anything to you and he his response is can't they you wait and see and I think that really speaks to the truth, Scott, of, of what you're talking about. Right. So you have this cop who I bet when a lot of people saw this movie, probably when this movie came out, was like, he's the good guy. This yep. cop that just goes by feelings and just knows it, that he must somehow be part of this heist. The movie starts with a robbery slash murder and then the the fallout of a robbery slash murder all culminating in yeah yeah so um three three convicts sort of they escape from san quentin they go on a a string of low-level robberies to try and make enough cash to plan a larger heist and then make their way to Mexico. And in that process, they need Steve Lacey because they know he's reliable and they can't really dilly-dally while they're on the run from the law. So they kidnap him and his wife as Steve Steve Lacey is being pressured by Lieutenant Sims and the police because 
they think now that these convicts have escaped, he's going to um, help them plan their heist. And the movie is all about Steve Lacey being pushed from both sides and how as much as he tries to just not do crimes, um, the police just make it harder and harder for him to exist in the world. And he's his struggle is so is is so palpable in the film, and you see him just be tense at every decision he has to make because he's he's also concerned about the safety of his wife, and knowing that if he does, for example, turn stool pigeon for the cops. That could open up him and his wife for retaliation from from criminals. So he really has no clear way out of his predicament. And the thing is, it is really hard to make a life after yourself after prison. It's one of the reasons why recidivism rates are so high is it can be hard to find jobs it can be hard to find housing if you're convicted of a felon felony you can't vote you can't be you can't be part of society and 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 police policing does not reduce recidivism if you look at harsh drug laws in the 1980s and the 1990s it did nothing to reduce drug use rates or even recidivism and that and that comes from uh, this book called the end of policing that tries to look at the possibility of police reform and if it is even possible of of reform and you have this guy just being like you did a you did a crime you are a criminal and up until basically the very end, they're acting upon that idea. Now, sorry, you're about um, to say something. Yeah, you know, one thing that I think is is curious about, like you, you just brought up the end where Lieutenant Sim says, "Hey, we're here to protect and serve. Next time, just call me." You know, one thing I find interesting about movies of this era is that for 95% of the running time, they'll show cops being bullies and in the wrong, or they'll show, like um, like in the horror movie, The Seventh Victim, a textual satanic lesbian relationship. And then at the very end, oh, she gets married. So like, they're, they can be incredibly subversive for almost the entire runtime, but as long as it ends okay, they can get away with it. And, and so I think people don't give this era of filmmaking enough credit for the subversive ideas that they are able to, to get across. It's just, it's just sort of like, okay, well, as long as we kind of like have this ending where everybody's, you know, lives happily ever after, we can show all this like <laughs> crime and despair and sadism for the previous, you know, 70 minutes. Right. And if, if this movie were to be made now, 
you know, there would be all these other things like enhancements of crimes, like gang-related crimes, yeah. hate-related crimes, different sort of things that are multipliers. And while this movie is, I think, mostly about white people, also the time that it was made, so obviously I don't think they're really going to be going into police brutality and police behavior against non-white people. But, I mean, you know, when there have been gigantic pushes to try to fight crime, especially the war on drugs, which, which they lost a long time ago, I strongly believe in the legalization of all drugs, the regulation of them, and profit, taking most profit towards rehab, education, harm reduction, and things of that nature. But, you know, in, like, when San Diego tried to do, like, drug gang enforcement, 97% of those arrested were black or Latino, and I do not believe that 97% of the people in San Diego doing drug-related behavior are black and Latino. I just, it's really hard for me to believe that. Yeah. And then there there's ideas of like, what is crime? Now, in, in this movie, you know, the crime that they're doing, that's, that's crime. You know what I mean? Murder, robbing people, that's that's real crime and even in a society that has I, I would say that my belief about police reform is, is way past the term reform there still needs to be something done with violent crimes and robbing I would also argue that if we had living wages and job security and health insurance that was not connected to our jobs there would be a whole lot less crime, but that's a different sort of argument. But, whew, this stuff, this stuff gets me. Yeah. But, but what I will say from a film perspective, it's fun. It's fast. It's short. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, like, give me more movies that are 107, like, no, a minute, an hour, and hour 16, hour 17. It's short, man. And I like that. That is, uh, that was a real Andre de Toth specialty. Like, all right, we, you have 12 days to make this movie. It's all it needs to be is above 70 minutes. Let's go, go, go. Uh, we bumped into the sign and it's kind of swinging in the background. I don't care. Next scene. And it's still like, a real good movie um and it's it is fun to you know see like oh you know his steve lacy's wife is like but steve you've been working a steady job for two years since your conviction for you know robbery so like, all right all that backstory is taken care of with that one line and we're off to the races and it's it's just it's just you know all killer no filler um and and i think that's that makes for an effective film like this. Um, but I wanted to run one thing by you, Scott, 
Like sure. a, a, a character that I thought was interesting in this movie was the the parole officer who seemed to almost function like Steve Lacey's social worker in this movie. Mm. Like, like they they were on a first name basis. The social worker drove him places, or the the parole officer drove him places when Steve Lacey's in a real tight tight spot. He he calls his parole officer like, "Hey, I need help." Like the, the cops are after me, can you put in a good word for me? And and I think that you know if and the film is most certainly on the parole officer's side when he's defending Steve Lacey to the traditional cops. Um, and I think that if you know more, I think if the job of policing was shifted to social work in the way that we see in this film, I, I think that would do a lot to reduce recidivism. I, I mean, you I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on that. I have a lot of thoughts about recidivism and reducing it, and education is shown to be one of the number one reducers of recidivism. Uh, as is religion, but I don't want to, I didn't get a lot of spiritual stuff from this movie. It was just more about understanding how movies, even where, you know, good cop, but he's got, but he's, but he's, he's working on hunches. Yeah. Hunches get people hurt. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, it, it's it's interesting that, you know, by the 1980s, a cop with a hunch was the good guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling. Yeah. You know? And, you know, even a movie that I think, I think a lot of people, in, in the cultural memory, a movie like French Connection, Gene Hackman's Popeye Doyle, the cop with a hunch and, and, you know, who's going by his gut, is like the good guy. But at the end of the French Connection, he kills another cop and the bad guy gets away. So I think the movie textually shows that Popeye Doyle sucks. Um, but by the Reagan era, the, those kind of guys are the heroes. Um, and, and I think it's still hard um, for a, a mainstream movie to to get away from that especially when like tv procedurals continually show the, those kind of police as you know the, the unimpeachable scions of moral virtue right like this is something i talk about in my podcast that i do with southpaw deep space nine where we unpack episodes of star trek from a leftist perspective it's like, which of these characters are cops? I mean, Odo is obviously a cop, right? That's that's the thin goo line. But yeah. am I able to enjoy that? There, there are peop- Have you watched Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? I have not, no. Well, it's a very long show, so I don't, I don't know if getting you to watch the whole thing for this show is going to work. But... It's top three animes for me, mm-hmm. and 
the main characters are kind of cops. So it can be hard to play. It's like, can can I like movies where about cops being good guys? The answer is yes. I can enjoy art about anything if it's done well. Especially if it looks at the issues and the problems inherent to these societies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. My my other... Well, this is controversial. The Legend of Korra is one of my favorites, but people would argue that that's not an anime, that it's an anime-inspired cartoon. It's a sequel to Avatar The Last Airbender, which is another thing that I love. Uh, both of those are very spiritual and going to... But Korra goes into the politics of war in a way that is really special and 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 neon genesis evangelion is all politics and god and and that's the kind of stuff that does it for me so what draws you to movies like this what draws you to movies about cops and what are some cop movies that you really like and why this one for this show um you know i i think there's something just so cinematic about you know um a civil servant trying to do the right thing and and i think the um cops are really effective ways for telling that story in, in a fictional setting it it's sometimes hard for me to you know get away from what I know the reality to be to, to enjoy those kind of stories. Like there, there are certain movies where um, it's just too fun for me to not have a hell of a time. Like, like how can you say no to Die Hard? Like that's impossible. Um, and then there are movies like this that have a much more nuanced take on the role of police in the lives of private citizens and like society as a whole. Um, and there's also movies like um, the Otto Preminger noir, Where the Sidewalk Ends, where it is about how cops are the same as criminals. Cops are thugs, period. And it's like, that's what that, that movie's about. And it, it's, it's great. Uh, so I think there's room for all these kinds of stories. And I think there's room to show best practices, like show how we wish cops did function in society. And there's a great comic called That Texas Blood um, where, please, where... Please please send me a link. Yes, um, where the it takes place, different eras in this one town in Texas, but the sheriff is everything you would want a small town cop to be like he he listens to his constituents um the the comic gives voices to like women of color both as like victims of crimes and as people in authority and and it it, it it's definitely not copaganda it just shows you you know it, it's especially uh you know a lot of the the stories that the, the that comic was telling um, came in the wake of George Floyd is just showing like, oh, it could be like this, you know, 
and um, and it's by uh, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips, um, an incredible uh, series of miniseries. They've had three story arcs now, and they're doing sort of a a prequel series about the Old West called Enfield Gang Massacre that's currently being published. So um, great stuff. Awesome. And on that note, do you want to move on to investigation? Or do you yeah. Have anything? Okay. No, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, because cause this movie, uh, you know, Crime Wave was just, you know, popcorn. I was like, okay. It's a good movie. I could see how it it inspired lots of films like it, like mm-hmm. French Connection, I'm sure, and things of that nature. But, yeah, I'm ready to move on. Okay. And uh, so I wanted to pair these two films because I just wanted to show how how much a, a a single police officer can affect the lives of the people around him, whether they're trying to do the right thing or whether they're a complete psycho. And Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion is the latter. It's uh, directed by Elio Petri, who is an incredibly talented and insightful political filmmaker who operated in Italy throughout the late 60s and 70s. Um, so he describes himself as uh, a mere worker in show business. Um, he said, I think my films are political and the fact that investigation is popular makes it even more so. So investigation was a big, you know, international hit. It um, got the jury prize at Cannes. Um, he was unabashedly leftist. He wrote for a communist newspaper uh, when he was younger. And, um, you know, just a, one of my favorite quotes from him is somebody was asking about the, the like, quote-unquote abnormal sexuality he depicts in his films. And so his, his response was they were indicating, like, acts of homosexuality in his other movies. And so his response was, homosexuality is abnormal? No. Homosexuality is natural. It is ownership that is abnormal. Um, Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to get to a couple other of his films eventually in this podcast because there's a lot of meat to each one of them. And also, like, if you send me a Criterion movie with Ennio Morricone, I'm going to be happy. Also, these movies are easy enough to find, by the way. Yeah, um, uh, Petri and Morricone had a very long partnership. They... Uh, Morricone did several scores to his movies, and they're all great. Um, Morricone is obviously one of the great geniuses of cinema, um, but he really works his magic in this one. Um, but uh, Investigation is about, um, we don't get his name, and we don't even get the name of the city that he lives in, but it's clear, clearly Rome. Um, the uh, very stridently leftist actor John Maria Volante plays the chief, who is in this um, sh- strange affair with uh, a-, a woman where they sort of reenact crime scenes as a preamble to sex. And eventually he just kills her and leaves evidence to make it completely obvious that he's the, the killer. And the movie is about his maneuvering 
to manipulate the justice system to sort of fo force the police's hand to convict him because he's so convinced that order is necessary for society that he has to show that the system is unimpeachable but he there's cognitive dissonance because if he's a part of the system he has to himself be unimpeachable and so there's these two incompatible ideas that he's operated under constantly and you know at, at his uh, promotion ceremony he gives a very Mussolini-like speech where he talks about how repression is our vaccine, repression is our civilization. And he, he finds political dissent to be the worst crime imaginable. And he's out to prove that the only way for civilization to exist is for this unimpeachable, all-consuming system to encapsulate like all of Italian society and yeah he's um he's a sick man in a sick world yeah and he it's very much you know Donald Trump saying I could get away with killing someone on Fifth Avenue or you know that ep the season finale of uh What's that show? Uh, the Boys, where, you know, what's-his-face just, like, lasers somebody and everyone's like, yeah. Or mm -hmm. um, that Tom Hanks movie. What's that Tom Hanks movie where he's a comedian with uh, Sarah? <sighs> Whatever. He, like, has a breakdown and everyone thinks it's hilarious. Like, ho Homeboy... Homeboy just is like, yeah, I did it, bitch. And everyone's like, no, no, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, it is it is interesting that, that that Trump comment, you know, Petrie was ahead of modern society in a lot of ways because in 1965, he did a movie called The Tenth Victim, um, which has a lot of aesthetics that are in the Austin Powers movies. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, Austin Powers is less of a parody of James Bond and more of a parody of, like, weird crap from the 60s that Mike Myers liked. But in... in and so some of that is from The Tenth Victim. But that movie is about um, a televised, like, murder contest. Mm -hmm. So very much, like, presages um, The Hunger Games... Battle Royale or reality, te like reality television, and so it's just to me so fascinating how Petri was able to to tap into these different, you know, tendencies in culture that would sort of echo again and again in in the decades to come. I mean, my favorite movie of his, Totomoto, is about um, a bunch of politicians. Uh, in a pandemic, um, barricaded themselves in a bunker while telling the populace that they're that everyone else should act normal um, because they're they're safe. 
and I first saw that in early 2021, so it, it was a time. Um, but Hi, this is 24 Hours Later, John Romineo. I realize it might be confusing to reference both the 10th victim and the 7th victim in the same podcast without further explanation. So yes, The 10th Victim is the 1965 sci-fi satire directed by Elio Petri, starring Marcello Mastroianni and Ursula Andress, while The 7th Victim is the 1943 thriller directed by Mark Robson, starring Kim Hunter and Gene Brooks. Sorry uh, for the confusion. Anyway. And, you know, something to think about. So there, there are about 1,000 fatal police shootings reported each year in the U.S., and the arrest rate is around uh, 1%. Never really higher than 2 Yeah, I mean, you know, just anecdotally, I've never... I've never talked to anybody who had an encounter with the police that was, like, actually helpful, you know? Um, if your apartment gets broken into, they take your statement and, you know, bye. Um, like they're really a facilitator so that the insurance company has a record of you filing a police report. Do you know what COP stands for? I do not. Constable on patrol. That, yes, that's right. Yes. Right. So... Police policing in America comes from slavery and, mm-hmm. you know, the 13th Amendment and things of that nature. So, in my opinion, and, and from what I understand, there's a lot of police corruption in Italy, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand enough of the law to really make a statement about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, I feel... Look, a lot of a lot of police get away with with crime, and it's a stem, systemic issue. Even uh, police brutality, a lot of people get low sentences or hung juries or found not guilty. You know, one of the more significant uprisings in America had to do with the Rodney King riots. Rodney King being viciously beaten by police on video and the police found not guilty. I was even surprised when uh, trigger warning, we're going to be talking about upsetting stuff and we already have been. Um, I didn't even know if Derek Chauvin was going to get, you know, arrested for murdering George Floyd yeah. on, on video and Republicans have all this conservatives not all not all not all there are actually a lot of people that were just like this is unquestionably terrible but you have people like candace owens or tim pool or alt-right constituents that try to point out how bad george floyd of george floyd was as a person and that he might have been on fentanyl when all this happened now i don't believe bad people should be killed by cops. I don't believe anybody should be killed by cops. I don't think 
that's you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, the justice system is so dangerous mm-hmm. that people who are accused of nonviolent or petty crimes, you know, can go in and, you know, because the healthcare system is terrible in in jail or because it takes you a year to go to trial that like you can just die in prison because prison is a terrible terrible place and no human being like, deserves to, to live there so i right um stand up was the punchline was the tom hanks movie i was talking about oh, by oh, the I've way i've never seen that there's moments there's moments in it but yeah you know Khalif browder was was a uh, never actually convicted of a crime. He was arrested for for allegedly stealing somebody's backpack. He was in Rikers Island, one of the worst places in America, and he was there for years, much of it in solitary confinement. Yeah. And and he took his life when he finally got out. And you know. There's non-zero evidence that he may have done it. I don't know if he did or didn't. Um, He claimed his innocence, but what he did was he asked for a trial. And this is something that happens to primarily people of lesser means. And that that goes with poor, poor, poor white people, poor black people, poor people of color, is you get arrested for something and you plea out. Yeah. And... And if you have a little more money, a little more affluence, a little more resources, you you go, no, I want to take it to trial, take it to trial. And they're ne- they never want to take it to trial. And then eventually, for most people, they get a slap on a risk and they don't have a permanent record. But but if you're if you don't have money for bail, you can end up in a place Rikers Island costs a lot more money than bail. And all this terrible shit happens. Prisons don't rehabilitate people. Prisons in in America, that is. Mm -hmm. So if I may for a moment talk about my beliefs of prison abolition is when I say prison abolition, I mean that obviously in a perfect society that even in a utopian society, a socialist society, whatever, there will, people will commit crimes because things happen. And you can't just, with certain crimes, you can't just be like, oh, we're not going to do anything with people that do crimes, obviously. Um, But there needs to be a way where People learn from their mistakes, have a chance, restorative justice, you know. Mm. Obviously, you know, there's sex trafficking and people that make terrible stuff involving, like, I don't even want to say, but you can, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't there be people stopping that? Absolutely. Should somebody who, who is murdering people be in society probably not but that's not what prisons are designed for especially in america many of them are designed to um just keep people 
And then there's the exploitative labor of the prison industrial complex. And just, you know, penitentiaries are not penitent. The idea is to get penance, you know, and when we we're talking about recidivism, the the two most successful forms of recid that that lower recidivism in prison, jail, and I know there is a difference, is education and religion. Mm -hmm. People that find God, or people that educate themselves, or 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 people that just find something that keeps them going. I just listened to this incredible uh, rate article. I read this incredible article about people on death row that were playing Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, the death penalty costs so much more money than, than regular prison. Yeah. And I, and I, I virulently am against the death penalty. Virulently. And it surprises me when certain Abrahamic people of Abrahamic faith are not, you know, if if you're listening to listening to the homie Jesus, I'm sorry, dude, I don't believe that he was into the into the death penalty. But then again, evangelicalism, evangelicism of pretty much any religion isn't really that religion. Which leads me to a question, John, and then we can talk about the film some more. Sure. Um, was Jesus a victim? Um, yeah, he was. Uh, he was beaten because he didn't answer the interrogator's questions the, the way they wanted. Um, and and then they nailed him to a cross. You know. I'm just saying. Yeah, that Jesus was a person of color that died from police brutality. I'm just saying. And, and, you know, and thousands of his his peers were were too. Like that's that's what the, the Romans did to to the Israelites. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, is is recently. When we're recording this, Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, and also Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, where you you fast and you think about things that you could have done differently and things that you would have done differently, should have done differently. And I'm always thinking about kindness and how I can be an agent for change, if possible. I know that's sort of a self-righteous thing to say, but I'm just always hoping that yeah, I'm working towards something good, not working towards something bad. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, I I'm I'm trying my best as well, Scott. And so, you're not gonna hear me say all cops are bastards or defund the police, and I will explain why. Because I believe that in order for the working class to connect and you know employ the means of production and get together we also need to figure out a way to all meet together and certain terms are just immediately turn off for 
many of our working class brothers, sisters, and, and all in between. Because I, I know they're, you know, because not all people in the working class and rural countries are just, I'm sure, I'm sure there are non-binary coal miners and, you know, trans comrades, you know what I'm saying? Um, I do. And we're going to have to talk about all that on a deeper meaning as well. But if you think Jesus was transphobic, you got another thing coming. Sorry. And hey, you know, the um, uh, just recently, um, a group of conservative U.S. Catholics um, pressured the Pope to make his stance clear on, um, on homosexuality. And so his response to that was to say that it's very it's within the bounds of of catholicism for the church to bless same-sex unions that does not mean he is endorsing gay marriage but it's it's another push in the right direction um from pope francis yeah i mean it seems like within the confines of catholicism which seem to be very complex and i'm not going to go yeah. I don't know. That's not my I just don't know enough about it. He's he's trying and and he's very unpopular with a lot of Catholics because of because of his be like Christ sort of vibe. Um yeah. Sorry. I just I get caught up in a lot of these thoughts and I'm glad that you're bring we're talking about these movies and you weren't like let's watch i will watch Serbico, but but uh <laughs> but but because we watch investigation of a citizen above suspicion um you know you did mention police brutality and the movie depicts that in a variety of of interesting ways like we see the police interrogate people violently and accuse them of crimes that they usually haven't committed. Um, they show various methods of what are clearly torture, but you know, if you examine them medically the next day or maybe a couple days later, they wouldn't show signs of you know of damage. So the these cops know how to get away with torture. Um, he. He tells, um, the chief tells his lover, um, you know, as sort of foreplay, um, how he interrogates a suspect. And he says, my face becomes the face, of, the face of God. And so he just consistently accuses the person he's interrogating of a crime until he sort of envelops their existence and becomes the person they look up to and they want to impress that he transforms them into a child and makes them dependent. And then his lover's response is, you are more like a child than anyone I've ever met. And so I, I think that's an interesting thing that the, the movie is doing. Um, it's showing the inherent insecurity of fascism, that fascism is is so fragile that it needs to control even the thoughts of its citizens because its own system 
if anybody was able to actually think for themselves under it, it would it would collapse under its own hypocrisy, and and you'll find similar themes sort of repeated throughout uh, Petrie's work. Yes, and I just want to finish one thought. Sure. Um, is that when you say like all cops are bastards, or you know defund the police, it can it can get a big reaction out of people. It can push people away as opposed to saying like refund communities or um, question authority or look into things, I think you have a more successful rate of having people look like, oh, I, I think this institution is fundamentally flawed, which, yeah. is, which is what I would say, that the institution of policing is fundamentally flawed. And that refunding communities using parts of the budget for policing would reduce crime. And you know, I, I wish America could look at other countries with successful low crime rates. And I know that the democrat the demographics and, and size of America compared to like Scandinavia or Japan, um it's never going to be a one-to-one. Um, but, you know, we're the most powerful, wealthiest country in the world. Like, it, it seems insane that we have so many of our own citizens locked, locked up in, in prison, and many of them for, um, for, for what now we consider, like, legal. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm referring to you know like drug of, drug offenses. It it just seems like a, a waste of both human life and and economic resources. And and I think that you know a movie like like this where like the idea of reducing crime is sort of like not even within the the purview of what these cops are trying to do. That they're, they're trying to control the minds of their citizens. Um, and, and you know it it really one of the unfortunate things about Petrie as as a filmmaker is that a lot of his movies did mirror actual political events in Italy so in this film that there's a bomb in a public place in in the police station and while this movie was being filmed there was a, a public bombing in in Italy and it was initially blamed on an anarchist group. Um, it was later found out that it was actually a right-wing group that that uh, that did the bombing. But the, yeah, the leader of the group that was accused of this this act of terrorism was arrested, interrogated, and in the middle of his interrogation, according to the cops jumped out the window and killed himself. Um, that does not pass the smell test. Um, at the time, it was... Certainly cheap. doesn't certainly doesn't pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. <laughs> um, at, at the time, it was... Most of the Italian populace saw it as a lie, but the people who, you know, were on, on the right kind of didn't care. And the people on the left weren't in power at the time, so there wasn't much they can do. And, you know, for Petrie, 
you know, you know, this film like mirroring real life events in that way um, hurt his career long term because he sort of had got this reputation as a political radical, which he was, but I think especially with the content of his movies a after this one, um, he became increasingly, uh, investors became increasingly wary of putting their money in into his work. And also, you know, it's just like, all right, you're a dick, you killed your girlfriend, you got away with it, you're smug, you ever read Death Note or seen or, or seen the anime? I have not. Well, essentially, this little shit finds this book where if you write someone's name, they die. And like he gets followed by these Grim Reapers and basically becomes the he's like is like, I'm just going to make the world a better place. I'm just going to start murking bad people. And then. People start being like, wait, this is weird. Why are all these people dying? And then he eventually becomes part of the team looking for him. Which made me think about this movie. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, in a sense, the chief has that power. Like, he can just point to somebody, and he does at a couple points to the film, like, arrest that guy. Accuse him of murder. He, he has the power over life and death of of these people and, and i think in a lot of ways that that mirrors what um real life policing can lead to you know whether, whether it's in america or the the example in italy that that i just described exactly which also you know leads me to you know complicated ideas about complicated settings mm -hmm. you know um I've been talking about the movie Dragged Across Concrete for a long time because I think it's a good movie. Yeah. And it's, but it's made by not good people, directed by not good people, starring complicated people that have done some bad things. I mean, Mel Gibson's not a good person. Vince Vaughn has some right right wing politics. But you watch this movie where it's just like the police aren't even pretending to be good. Um, and it turns into this fantasy of, of violence. What do you think about a movie like that? Um, yeah, I um, I really liked Dragged Across Concrete. Um, the initial. I don't know, like half hour to an hour. I don't know, some problems with because, you know, there's like, for example, there's this um, scene where the, their their chief, Don Johnson, are having this conversation where like, oh, the, the tolerant left, they won't let us, you know, do our jobs. And, you know, they're, they're all they're trying to do is make it harder for, for good cops to live. And it's just like, oh, are, are we going to? Are we gonna have to listen to like the the politics of the of these guys in this movie? Um, but a as it goes on, you know, part of it is like the the villains in this movie are so despicable. Um, like a every action movie cliche 
that people point out, these guys avoid. They just murder people. Like, if if you're around them, you're dead. And they're, they have no compunction with shooting innocent people in the skull. And so by the end, you know, you're like, fucking get him, Mel Gibson. Um, and that that's... That's sort of the power of, of S. Craig Zoller as a filmmaker, that he can create these set pieces that just draw you in. And it's um, the, the tension he creates and the way he shoots action, it's, it's unavoidable to be engrossed in it. And, you know, I think the, one of the, the things I, I really actually loved was the friendship between the two um, black characters who, who are like hired by the villains as sort of like go-betweens or drivers. And initially, I think as part of this subversive nature of this movie, they're depicted as like, like typical gangsters. But as the movie goes on, the movie becomes more and more concerned with their friendship and their relationship, and it's clear these guys have known each other since they were little kids, and they have all this history together. They have their own language. They have all these references to past events, and you see the love that they have for each other, and, and so the, the events become tragic rather than rote. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's a movie that earns its like two-hour, 40-minute, runtime especially because of relationships like that and, and even the Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson characters like they clearly love each other like even if they're bad people played by bad people um, it, it's it's hard to not be empathetic when you see two people who, who love each other like that on, on screen it's just been a movie that's been so hard for me because I'm like I should hate this yeah these are about terrible cops. These are like, you know, um, Craig Zoller has has some politics I really don't agree with. Mel Gibson has some politics I find disgusting. Vince Vaughn has some politics I don't agree with. And yet I was like, this is what I wish like every Tarantino movie was like. <sighs> you know? Um, which is all to say that The cop film is an interesting genre. It's a genre that I want to explore. I think we started really strong. And I'm glad we didn't do something like Serpico. Because that's an easy one to, to talk about, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, as, as, as we uh, wind down, you know, what are your thoughts about police reform? And, and what are your, some of your final thoughts about these movies? Um, oh, real quick, um, if you want a fun cop movie that has a bit of a, I'm not going to say it's a leftist movie, but it's it's an anti-Craig Zoller kind of film, um, Shakedown from 1988 starring Sam Elliott and Peter Weller. It's a good time. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, I... Man, 
yeah, I, I just wish America could be in more vocal or full support of reallocating these resources to, you know, addiction programs and to prison abolition. There's no need to have millions of people incarcerated. I, I know there are monsters out there, people doing despicable things, but there's no reason that we need, need to have minor drug offenders or nonviolent criminals in jail. Like, it's, it's, only, it's a place where crime festers and criminals are created. Um, and, and, and I think that the entire justice system, frankly, is in violation of the Sixth Amendment which guarantees representation. Mm-hmm. Like, it, the fact that representation is so unequal that poor people are not able to navigate the justice system in the way that a rich person can means that, you know, in my, in my opinion, every conviction is unconstitutional because no one is enters on a level playing field that part yeah like okay justice is blind but she has some deep fucking pockets you know so there are there are incredible challenges to to police reform to justice reform and and i i wish we could work towards restorative justice as as a country but it's it's a long hard road and it's a long road when you're on your own. That's from first, that's from First Blood, the the first Rambo movie, which is an incredible film about war and bad police and nothing like the other Rambo movies. First Blood, excellent, fantastic movie. Um, yeah, man. Uh, well. This is our way of tricking you all into us talking about the problems of policing. Um, And see you on the flip side.